Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. One of the things that's kind of interesting with, with Heather's question um, and her point, it's, uh, it is intriguing to me how much Jesus would have dove into the world himself. Uh, we find that Jesus, and in the Gospels alone, which again is relatively a short amount of information we have about his public ministry, but in uh, the, the scriptures himself, in the Gospels, Jesus referred to, not referred to, he quoted the scripture uh, at least 80 times out of 70 different chapters for more than 22 books of the Old Testament, which is, was their scripture at the time. So he definitely was able to have that installed within himself, which is what you guys have been looking at. Um, but we see a lot of times that he's quoting it, he's doing it to disciple others. He's either doing it to defend himself, for instance, like the temptation, uh, or he's using it to be able to lead others from the, the, the chairs behind him forward and moving forward into him, uh, which leads into what he said, uh, with Chris's help, we'll put up uh, John 17. That's the, the main chapter we've been looking at where Jesus is praying right before his arrest in the garden, and he's talking about the things he has done to disciple the disciples. And this is the one that we're pulling from today. I have given them the words that you gave me. I have been given the words, which, like Heather's point, that's crazy, because in John 1, we find out that he is the word. But he has been given the word and he has given out to others and they've received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that you have believed and they have believed that you sent me. So he's given them the words to be able to not just share with others but also to live by. Now in this section, one thing I just kind of want to hit on because I, I think it's an interesting point. When he says, for I have given them the words, uh, the words that, or the word he uses for words there is not logos. Logos is what we see uh, is the totality of the word. Logos is who Christ is. Uh, the logos would refer to, in our basic understanding, the entirety of the scriptures. I've given them the entirety of the scriptures uh, so they can work off, off of that. The word he uses here is rima, and it's slightly different. We'll go uh, another slide there, and we'll get to the, the description of that from Vine's Dictionary of New Testament Words. The significance of Rima is to exemplify in the injunction to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here the reference is not to the whole Bible as such, but to the individual scripture which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for use in time of need. So when he's talking about giving us the Word so that we can use it, and live by it, and be benefited by it, and share it with others, and lead others to Jesus, and to disciple them. Uh, he's, the whole word is part of that, but I don't know about you, but not many of us uh, have read the whole scripture. Not many of us can say that we understand the whole scripture. Uh, and so that can be overly intimidating, but Rima, what he uses is that he can bring forward scripture when you need it when you're going through a horrendous time, when you have to hold on that promise, when you have to, you're, you're leaning into somebody else that's going through a tough time, he will help you remember. Now, the remember part is important because I have literally talked to people and they said, well, then I don't have to really be in the Bible that much because he'll remember, I'll, I'll remember some scripture verse when I was in second grade Sunday school. No, our part is taking in the word 
But he's the one that will give us the verbiage and the, the wording to be able to move forward with it. So it's, it's really important for us to be in the word. Um, it's not so much that I'm up here saying you've got to be in there daily or you've got to be in there weekly or you better be up to date on that workbook, right? Uh, what, what my, the encouragement is from the Holy Spirit and from us and from the church or the elders or from Jesus or whatever the case may be is that we look at the scripture like we are hungry and it's the only food in town. And so that is what he's calling us to, to be able to get the word within us so that we can share it with others from a discipleship standpoint. Does that make sense? Are we still kind of in that ballpark of things? So in looking at that, let's talk about three ways that we get the word. Um, and the most significant one, the one we've already been talking about, is what? The Bible, right? Okay, so everybody's in the Bible. Um, I am going to talk to you a little bit, not from the standpoint of like, read your Bible, so I'm done. Um, but I want to go a little bit further back on things when it comes to the scripture and get very, very basic with it. Because one of the things that I, I've, I've noticed is that no matter what age you are, uh, you may or may not understand just even the basics of the Bible. So many people I talk to, so I read the Bible and it's like reading Shakespeare. I, I'm like not getting hardly anything out of it. I don't know where to start, what order do you read it in, that kind of stuff. So we're going to go very basic at the beginning, and that's not an insult to anybody in the room. It's just there's a lot of people who don't know because we haven't been educated within it. Um, even uh, what's Dan, Dan Spader, the guy that wrote the books that you guys are going through right now, uh, he shared in uh, my, my studies, uh, he was talking about 40 years ago when he first accepted Jesus as leader and forgiven his life, that he was going to a Bible study, and they started talking about the Old Testament. And he got really, really nervous because all he had was this new Bible, not an old one. And so he couldn't follow along because he didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we're going to go very basic for a little bit. And then we'll go from there. So with Chris's help, we're going to slap up a chart. And I don't know how well you're going to be able to see it. Yeah, um, eh, that's cut 20 minutes off the sermon. No, I'm just kidding. No, you can get a general feel of it from here, um, of how all of this works. So, okay, I'm going to stand up. Old man walking. Okay. So it, the Bible is put into two different sections. Okay, so you got the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament, basically, it's easier, I think, to say the Old Covenant, uh, because basically what it gets broken into is that there's two different covenants that God's had with his people. The first one, which is the, now the Old Testament, that's what Moses brought in to be. And then um, at the time of Jesus, he didn't come to change the law. You remember that? They came to fulfill the law, which means I came with the new covenant. Uh, so some of the details of the law fall to the wayside, but the heart of the law never did, not, not an ounce of it. And so we have these two different areas. So the new covenant would be mostly when you and I are living now. That, that's what we're living in. It's called the church age, uh, which, by the way, today is, again, the, the birthday of the church of Pentecost, uh, which we'll look at here a little bit later on. With the Old Testament, um, the way that they would have been studying the Old Testament is basically through the scrolls, through the synagogue. It's not like they had a bookstore down the street and you could go pick up a collection of the, the Old Testament. Um, so they would be doing the, the scroll aspect of things. So those would not be like in a book in front of you. Those would be something that you would be going to the synagogue to be learning. Our little boys went to the synagogue to be learning as if it was elementary school. Uh, and those who excelled continued into the junior high, high school years into rabbis and religious leaders. When you look at the Old Testament, um, 
it is broken into categories. The first ones, all the ones that you see there in the pink, are history. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, those are all written by Moses, which is really, really cool to me. Because the, all the stories of Genesis, all the histories of Genesis, was, was hit, uh, passed down from generation to generation because they didn't have uh, really a way to write it down. And then when Moses, as a baby, got picked up by Pharaoh's daughter in an effort to save his life, he got the Egyptian studies, and he learned how to write. And he was the one that was able to put those things down into the details that they have. Uh, so when you're in Genesis, you're getting a ton of really cool stories about the heroes of our faith. A lot of things that you can learn from, a lot of things that, that you can be encouraged by. Exodus, you're getting into where the law is more introduced. So you've got Moses receiving uh, the law from the, from the mount and then how they start describing it out. A little bit more narrative. You get some narrative in numbers as well. Leviticus, Deuteronomy's numbers. You also get these sections that, uh, quite frankly, can be really, really boring. Um, a lot of lists, a lot of uh, historical who begat who and all that fun stuff, uh, but has great, great information in it. Great stuff to get into. So it's probably secondary. I wouldn't say, hey, why don't you start out with Leviticus? Um, but um, just two weeks ago, when we were talking about Jabez, that was two sentences in the middle of a, le a list of begats. There's all kinds of really cool information in there that Jesus referenced in his ministry as well. Then you get into all these other ones. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Again, all history. If you're a history buff, jump in there. Um, and one of the things that you're probably picking up on by now is the Bible is not one book. It's 66 books in a, in a collection of books. But this is another area for great stories of the heroes of our faith that we can learn from. Not just their successes, but some of their failures. Uh, have you ever read the story, let's go back to Genesis, of uh, knowing being trashed off his butt, laying naked in bed, and his sons had to cover him up? I mean, it, it was not a good thing for Noah, but there's things that we can learn that from, from that. It's a very realistic book, so you have a lot of different aspects there. Uh, if you like poetry, anybody like poetry? Okay, and just for those who don't, just before you go into these and think, okay, I'll give it a shot, not all these rhyme. <laughs> Poetry is much more than rhyming. Uh, but more, consider more of the poetic books, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, uh, Lamentations. Job uh, is an incredible story that a lot of people have leaned into during the toughest parts of their lives. It's actually considered um, probably the oldest book written over all the other books, that Job would have happened sometime during the Genesis understanding of the, the scripture, and it was the first one written down. Um, but still it was considered poetry from the, the aspect of just the incredible metaphors, especially that God uses about himself and his heart and how he, he looks at us. And there's this one point that he goes off on this rant uh, about faith, and he's like, are you the one that calls out the stars each night by name? Are you the one that called the mighty waves to go this far, and then this is where you have to halt, and you're like, God is so powerful. I mean, those are some great, great understandings. Psalms, think songs for the most part. That's the easiest way to think about it. Mostly written by David, not completely written by David. Uh, I love a lot of the Psalms. Actually, uh, Nicole, I'll give you Psalm 119 to study. And you'll figure out why once you get there. 
It's the longest one. It's 176 voices. <laughs> Powerful one, though. Anyways, um, but a lot of this would start out with a place where David is just struggling and feels like everything's falling apart. And then there's, always, there's this part where he says, but you, God. But you, God. And once he changes his focus, it just becomes worship. Uh, so helpful. Um, there's only once in my life that I thought about taking my life, and it was a song that turned things around. Proverbs, Song of Solomon, both are from uh, Solomon himself. I think, I think Ecclesiastes is as well. Great poetry, and the Proverbs are a bunch of one-liners, or two-liners. Do you write on a posting note, put it on your desk or in your car? That just uh, really, really connect well. Song of Solomon, uh, it's a little uncomfortable at times. It's a little uncomfortable at times. It's a very romantic, intimate uh, between a man and a woman that actually mirrors the intimacy between us and God. And if you want to see how God looks at you, it's, it's a good one. Um, that's right. Uh, that's right. That's how Jenny got me. Uh, Ecclesiastes. Anybody ever watch Footloose, the original 80s one? I'll say these kids. Anybody? Footloose? Oh, such a good movie. Defined. Everything. Uh, big chunk of his speech about why we should be allowed to dance to the council came Ecclesiastes. There was a time to be born, a time to die, a time to laugh, a time to cry, and there is a time to dance. There you go, man. Uh, Ecclesiastes as well. Prophecy, you're getting, uh, and, and don't be freaked out by prophecy. Some people see that and they think, I'll never understand it. A lot of prophecy is seeing things black and white more than it is the future, but there is future things in there as well. Major prophets, minor prophets. Uh, I like Amos. I think Amos is a, a great read if you put him, yourself into his shoes of what that looks like. Um, a great amount of information. Now, with this, what we call canon means these are the books that are the Bible. These are the ones that we say this is our scripture. Um, the Old Testament canon is, I've never heard that debated. Maybe some of you guys have. I've never heard somebody say, well, they just slapped those books together to take and manipulate people into this religion, and five guys got together in the garage and started, a, you know, whatever. I've never heard that about the Old Testament. It's been around so long. I think, uh, let's see, the Bible is written by, let's see, 40 different writers, 39 known, one unknown, which is Hebrews, which we'll talk about, one author, God, written over a period of 1,500 years, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, written in three continents, Africa, Europe, Asia, and then it's divided into these two sections. That, that, that's phenomenal. That's, uh, what it, some, somebody better at math than me, Melissa would make her check me, which they're on the road. Uh, that means for the amount of time it took to write the Bible, is like uh, how long our country's been a nation times 30 or times 60, something like that. It's like a crazy amount of time. Uh, it's not a bunch of guys just sitting down manipulating stuff. Uh, these scriptures in the Old Covenant had been around for hundreds, uh, if not thousands of years. Um, it was, everybody knew that that was the scripture. There, there, I've never seen any, I've seen, I've seen a lot of debate on the New Testament, never seen any debate on the Old Testament. It was very much in place. Uh, it was, I think, Josephus. If you don't know him, he's an ancient historian, I think, in the fourth century, if not second century. Um, and he wrote, for all those such long ages have now passed, no one has ventured neither to add or to remove or to alter a syllable when it comes to the Old Testament. So uh, that, that's pretty much in place. That's, and everybody had access to the synagogues to it. So I've never really seen people try to say there's a manipulation with the Old Testament. However, 
New Testament. That's where people get a little bit more uh, trying to create a straw man uh, that doesn't really hold water. But we'll talk about that in a second, too. That's how that breaks down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels. It means good news. It's the story of Jesus' public ministry for the most part. Still have that 12-year-old visit. You have his birth. But for the most part, it's his public ministry, what Jesus did and what he said that we have access to. And I'm trying to remember... There was one time we talked about how much access we have to his, his public ministry. And somebody in a college of a guy that I know did a thesis paper on it. And if you add up all the time that's talked about in the Gospels versus how much those three years would have been, I think we have access to 1% of, the, of those three years, something like that. So it's amazing how much we, the Spirit gives us and we struggle with, and it's so, so little in comparison. Um, then you go back into history, you got Acts. So uh, Luke, who wrote the gospel, who was a doctor at the same, maybe educated, Poseish, uh, who took and he did his gospel from interviewing all the, f- the people firsthand, and then Acts, which is the history of the church, Pentecost on. Uh, great stuff to learn about our mission. Matthew was an apostle. Mark was uh, a disciple underneath Peter. So his writing is basically Peter's writings. And then John, John feels very different because John wrote down his sermons at the end of his life. So it wasn't in the same model as Mark, I believe Mark was the first one to come out as Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and we get some amazing insights there. After that, you see a lot of blue. You see all the blue? They say, what do they call it, exposition? Epistles, okay. I got too pastorly on you all of a sudden. Um, Mostly letters. When you look at the Old Testament, it's what they went, went to the church to learn about through the examples. In the New Testament age, it is a lot of, uh, hey, this is how you survive. This is how you move forward. This is fi- how you find your peace. This is how you, you find how to disciple. This is how you, you move forward in diff- different ways. Most of it is written by Paul, um, but we also have other things there, including uh, John, Jesus' half-brother, Jude's half-brother. Uh, for second third John, for second Peter. Uh, Hebrews is the one that we can't say that we know 100% who wrote it. Uh, I personally believe it was Paul. It's in the same manner of Paul, the same flow of Paul, but it doesn't start out, hey, it's me, Paul. So uh, we don't know 100% per se. So the, some might say that, why is that in there? Actually, it wasn't for a long time. Um, this is where more people get a little bit more antsy when they start saying, well, this is just the disciples got together in a room and put this stuff together to make it. And uh, which doesn't hold water again from the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament, from the way that Jesus acted, from the mistakes that they made. Um, I mean, the stuff that they put in there is not necessarily always good propaganda, um, but is, is in, in, in this mix. Uh, the last one we have there is Back to Prophecy with Revelation. If you've not gone through Revelation, don't make it your first book. Um, but it is a good book. It is a good book. I've mentioned before, uh, Revelation's God's Word for the Biblically Inept. Really good book. If you want to go through the study, breaks it down real well. It gives you the multiple theories, not just telling you what they think that, that it means. Put that over there with the necklace. Uh, so you can buy that for me. You'll get it. I think it's now called The Smoke Guide for the Bible because they found people didn't like being called inept. I don't mind. Uh, but, okay, so, so here, here's how did this come together then? How did the New Testament be chosen? Well, most of it, uh, 
early on was considered scripture. Actually, if you read Peter's writing, he's talking about Paul's writing of scripture. Uh, so it starts very early, even as it's being written, it's already be, being considered scripture within this. Um, but there, there is a little bit of an odor if it helps a little bit. Um, as for the New Testament canon, I'm just going to read it. There appears to be a core collection of scriptural books, approximately 22 out of 27, functioning as scripture by the middle of the second century. Okay, so 22 out of 27 are already considered scripture. The first canon was the Maturian canon, which was compiled in 170. So about 130 years after Jesus' death is when they said, we've got to narrow this in so people know what's scripture and what's not. Here's the reason they did that is because there was false scripture being passed around. Um, I would, for, if you ever try to read the Gospel of Judas, train wreck, just a train wreck. I mean, it's not like Judas on his way to the tree sat down and wrote, wrote out his story. It's not written by Judas. It's wrote, written by the Gnostics. It's a false religion. They said you can be Gnostic and Christian too. Like today, they say you can be Christian and Scientologist too. Doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. Uh, when you read it, it's a comical version of Jesus Christ because he's such a joke. Um, Judas is redefined as the hero of the story. The other apostles are a bunch of idiots who do not understand Jesus' ministry. Judas is the one that gets him freed from his physical body so that he can become uh, perfected in his Gnostic uh, self. Uh, There's a lot of false stuff being passed around like this. So they felt as a church, this is what we know is true. So that was our first canon uh, when they, they put it together. At that point included all the New Testament books except... Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, and 3rd John. In 363, the Council of Laodicea stated that the only the New Testament, along with one book, part of the uh, Apocrypha, nope, I didn't say that right, 26 books of the New Testament, everything but Revelation, were canon and to be read in the churches. Council of Hippo, a few years late, 30 years later, and the Council of Carthage in 397, confirmed the same books as authoritative. The councils followed something similar to the following principles to determine whether a New Testament book was truly inspired by the Holy Spirit. One, was the author an apostle or have a close connection with an apostle? Two, is the book being accepted by the body of Christ at large? Three, did the book contain consistency of doctrine and orthodox teaching? Four, did the book bear evidence of high moral and spiritual values? that would reflect a work of the Holy Spirit. That's how they figured it out in the first, second, and third uh, century, and that's what we've had since. So if that, that helps you any there as well. So that's basically the scripture. The only other interesting point that I put in there is between Malachi and Matthew was 400 years. And I only say that in there because it should be a major at Christmas time when they hear, oh, when Jesus enters the world, they haven't heard from God 400 years and thought he forgot him. I like that aspect. And, then, and that they held on to the Old Testament the entire time in hope. So, why is all this important? Why is it important to be in it? Uh, if you're just starting out, I would suggest reading John. If you were with us for the life of Jesus, I would suggest James uh, as your first book. It's an incredible book. It's considered the gem of New Testament. Psalms is the, the gem of the, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, but we have to have it in us so that we can recall it, and more importantly, so we can know what's true and what's not. If you don't have this in you, you end up falling victim to a lot of, it seems to me, theology. It seems to me that God would think this. It seems to me that Jesus would say that. Uh, and that's what puts us into funky places. I did a Facebook post this week that some of you guys might have noticed. I was just asking people's questions on stuff like, uh, you know, the, a lot of the struggles going on in Hillsong and with Bethel and different things. Uh, like, how do you, 
how do you discern what uh, of their product, for say, whether it be the music or the chosen or whatever, how do, you, how do you choose what to embrace and not, not embrace? And got great, great answers. And one of the things that one of my friends said, uh, and, I can, I, and I love him, but almost could, could see him saying it in a goofy way, but just, I just chew up the steak and spit out the bones. I'm like, it's good if you understand the difference between steak and bones, I guess. You know, you know what I mean? It's just kind of like a, a quick, one of those Christian things we say or whatnot. Um, and uh, so I wanted to tease him a little bit, but I didn't because I was trying to be nice in this. But it did make me think, for example-wise, who does steak well? Anybody grill out steak? Anybody consider themselves like a steak master? Nope, Katie's hand went down, steak master. Nobody? Nobody in here knows how to really do a steak. Well, come on, Michael, I know. Yeah, I know you're the king of the grill. Are you not the king of the grill? <laughs> Weren't you just like, when I did my bacon for the breakfast today, I used the griddle, and it, did, did it look like jerky? Oh, that was mine, if it looked like jerky. Who oh, looked like jerky? You know steak, though, don't you? Do you know steak? Come here. No, get back here. Get up here, baby. Show off them sexy knees. I almost tripped. You see how I almost tripped? It helps you now. Maybe. See how good you do. You know steak. Or does she know steak and you take the credit? Without looking at the price tags. What? Would you rather have that? Or would you rather have that? These are basically hamburgers. No, it's steak. Look. It said steak on it. What do they call it, honey? Cube steak. Mmm. Mmm. Which one would you rather have? Why? Because look at all the fat in there. That fat is flavor. Fat is flavor? Yeah, it is. I heard fat was waste. No. Fat is flavor? Okay. It's flaming fla fla young. Yeah. Look how small it is, though. You get much more space there. No, you don't. What do you mean? I mean, you put these two together, it's about the same. This is seven ounces. This is... 0.6 pounds. Okay. Then you're just going for this one because it's the fancy packaging? No, because of the fat. Look at the fat. It's marbled. Are you going with this one just because it's like a famous name because it's filet mignon? No, because even if the labels weren't this. But look, this. this one here, no, does, does it say prime? It doesn't say prime. It says natural fresh. It's USA, USDA choice. Right, so is this. So see, they're the same. No, this is USDA Prime. Oh, because you like the wood prime. <laughs> Are you done with me? I don't know. Do you want it? Dude, I'm not going to eat that. That's too thick. I can't do that. Give that to your wife. Who wants this one? Hey, Chuck, hand out the Donna. She can have some food. Boop. We'll give food to people. <laughs> but the thing is, like, if people don't know anything about the steak, you can listen to the most well 
no-name pastors who take and put out the most pretty-looking, sounding good stuff that takes and gives you that cheerleader feel about how great life is, and it can all lead you to hell. It can all, and it, 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 it won't, uh, and, and a lot of times you'll end up putting you into places that you feel really, really good that God is crying. We've, we've got to know the Lord so that we know what's real, so that we can lean into what's real, so we have substance and we have foundation so that we can live a life and then pass it on to others. So if I eat the steak and push out the bone, that doesn't mean the person next to me understands what the bone is. That's part of my discipleship is being able to help others as well. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to move on. You guys are looking hungry. Some good stuff too, man. Uh, the second one is going to be on community, and I'm going to need the paperboard. If you would, let's open up our Bibles and get to, where do I want to go today? Uh, Psalm chapter 34. Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. It's in the middle of the Bible, so it shouldn't be super hard to be able to find. Um, we're going to look at a section. Is it 1 o'clock yet? Okay. Does somebody say my marker because they're tired of this? Sweet. Psalm 24. I lied. What did I say earlier? Go for it. 34. Now, whatever says up on the screen. We're going to do something similar to what we usually do because usually what I like to do is what? Read a little, talk a little. Today I'm going to read a little and you guys are going to talk a little. Psalm 34. Remember the ABC rule? If I know I misspelled it, I'm going to put ABC. You can choose whatever letters to fix it. Verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name. What stands out? Now what time you get lunch is in your hand. What? At all times. At all times? No. I can't hear. What? Exalt? Anything else? Lord? Boast and humble. That's an interesting contrast. That actually works together. Praise. Hmm? Praise. Afraid? Praise. Praise. Okay. Hear and, Hear and rejoice. Okay. It's a good start. Let's go to the next section. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer and want to suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Anybody? What stands out? I sought the Lord. I sought the Lord? Okay. 
Nice. Huh? Delivers? Oh, you gotta speak louder, honey. Delivers? From beer! Thank you. Radiant with joy. Sweet. The Lord is good. Lord is I'm gonna put mine. Taste and see. That's a incredible invitation. Never be ashamed. What else stands out? Sweet. What are you going to say, Mike? Uh, you look like you had like a deep... Huh? Okay. Shall not like. Okay. Angels encamp around us. Next section. Where are we at? Verse 11? Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many good days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn away from evil. Turn away from evil, okay? You say seek peace? Yeah. I think we're going to go over here. What else? Listen. Oh, that's a fun one. Keep evil from your lips and tongue, Monica. Okay. <laughs> if I haven't learned. Hmm? Come and listen. Ding. What else? It's an open book quiz, people. Okay. Next book. We have 15. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones, not one of them is broken. 
which by the way is a prophecy about Jesus. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of them who take refuge in him will be condemned. What'd you say, son? I'm sure that's wrong. My spelling, not your answer. Okay, good. So we got that a couple times in there. Close to the broken hearted. What's that? The righteous may have many troubles. But. <laughs> but he sustains us. Who does he rescue? The face of the righteous is radiant. Why is the face of the righteous radiant? Hmm? Why is the face of the, radi the righteous radiant? Hmm? I can't hear it all. Glory of the Lord. <laughs> I'm sure it's first told him. Glory of the Lord. The hope of the Lord. So let me ask you this. You're having a really crappy day. Things aren't going well at work. Your best friend's an idiot. You feel like smacking somebody around. Kathy, if she's not the problem. Uh, <laughs> what? What? Shocker. Shocker. So you're having a crappy time of it. You wake up. You start going through Psalm 34. What do you take from it? God loves you. He's always with you. Put it in the hands of the Lord. He'll protect you. What's that? You're not condemned. Okay. We need a filter for our mouth. Need a filter for our mouth? Do you know those times you just badly need to remember that and hear that? You guys ever had that season? Just badly need to hear that and lean into it and see it. There are people around you who need to hear it. Another way that we receive the word is that somebody invested the word in them and then they had coffee with somebody in their circle and shared to them because they could see they're going through a tough time. That's how we disciple with the word. 
That's how you disciple with the wood. Third way that I want to talk to you about is that we receive the word through the Holy Spirit. And we'll finish up with this. A um, couple of voices up there on the screen, Matthew 28. I probably skipped around on you some, Chris. I apologize. Uh, we know this scripture. This is one of the main scriptures that we've got going right now is the Great Commission, uh, fueled by the Great Commandment that we love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, and soul, and then we love others as he has loved us, or how he, uh, we love others, or love ourselves. Um, this one, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to, uh, to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to do of all I have commanded of you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We always talk about step one, lead people to the Lord. Secondly, baptize. Third, disciple one another. We cannot forget that the commandment is go. That's what you were to do. And secondly, we can't forget that we are being able to do so through all authority in heaven and earth that's been given to Jesus and that Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. We were never meant to do this just of our own accord. The next scripture I always partner with this is Acts 1. When Jesus is getting ready to send to heaven, he says, you will receive power of the Holy Spirit uh, when, when it's come over you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the, uh, the earth. This is when I say when, I, when he says to your hometown, to your country, to those that are different than you uh, and those that uh, the whole world. It's because that's how they would have heard this. Jerusalem was their hometown. Judea was their country. Samaria was people that were different than them, that they had a lot of prejudice against, so prejudice and racism has no place in the church and to the very end of the earth. There's a pretty, pretty big uh, command, but the beginning we can't pass over either. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you can do this. Don't be idiots. Don't go out here and try to do it on your own accord. It just isn't going to happen. It's not going to work. You're going to fail miserably. You will not be able to succeed in this mission without the Holy Spirit. And as you study Acts, you see the Holy Spirit step in time after time after time after time again. So with that, I'll go ahead and jump over to Acts chapter 2, and we'll finish up with this. Acts chapter 2 is the history, right? It's a history book of what happens at the birth of the church. After we've been given our mission, they've now been hiding in the upper room for the last 10 days, committing themselves to each other and to prayer and getting prepared for whatever this is looking like because they don't know what it's going to look like when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and then it happens and then holy cow does it happen. Okay, chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place and suddenly, I still love that word, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. This is different than uh, speaking in tongues. This is praying in other tongues or speaking in other tongues. As the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Lemonites and residents of Mesopotamia, oh, this is fun, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and a place and a place and there's that Egypt, that's an easy one, and the parts of Libya belonging to that place and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, 
Cretans and yep, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" But others mocked, saying they were filled with new wine. Okay, um, this is what they could not do without the Holy Spirit. If they could have sat in there for ten days in an executive session, taking and talking about how are we going to get a crowd together, where do they usually hang out? What things can, can we do to kind of draw people in? What do we share with them? Who's going to speak? Well, Peter's always kind of been the leader, so I guess maybe he can speak. What things are going to we share? Because we're only going to have like 20 minutes before people start wanting to have lunch. And all these different things. And none of this would have happened. None of this would have happened. When we follow the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit does his part, you're following. You're following. And so all of a sudden they're preaching and everybody's hearing them in their own languages. And the thing that cracks me up is we as humans so, so easily want to explain God away that there's literally people in the crowd saying, nope, they must be drunk. <laughs> Peter, standing up in verse 14, uh, stands up at the 11, lifted up his voice. By the way, this is in the same place where he just denied Christ uh, three times uh, just uh, about, what, two weeks before? Uh, he lifted up his voice and addressed them, saying, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jer Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For those peop these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's the only third hour of the day. In Jesus' day, the beginning of the day started at 6 a.m., so he's talking about 9 a.m. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning, so of course they're not drunk. That's not the point I would have made. The point I've made is, like, how do you make any sense in any way, shape, or form? I, I, I've had my share of struggles in my life. It usually came down, well, I used to say this to my mom all the time. I was the perfect child. The perfect, perfect child. If it wasn't for a woman and stealing money from a cash register, I was the perfect child. Best one in the family, right? So I've had my places I messed up. But one place I didn't mess up is drinking. I just, I, just, I, I would say... One time I was feeling good, but I wouldn't say I was drunk. But I'm pretty sure, so maybe I'm not the right person to talk about this, but I'm pretty sure if I got a case of beer and drank all of it, I wouldn't be able to start speaking in Spanish <laughs> or French or Russian. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense that if I'm speaking a language that I never studied that, oh, well, that must have been some really, really good alcohol. <laughs> Anyways. Peter continues, verse 16, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And, when I, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. None of that would happen without the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do this by yourself. Let the Spirit invest into you through the Word. Be willing to share the Word and then follow the Spirit as He leads. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500. 
or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.